0: Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how are you doing today?
1: I'm well, sir. How about you? Fantabulous. I, mean, I, don't- I don't know why I went with
0: that, but I'm uh, doing fantastic. Uh, we have actually two guests on today. really excited to have Eric Bednash. He's the CEO of Racktop Systems, and we also have Jonathan Dutch. Gentlemen, welcome to Privacy, Please. Thanks. Thanks nice for having us. Me. Great. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, if you want to start, Eric, and would love to, to know where you started out and how you got to being the CEO of Racktop Systems.
2: Yeah, so... Um... Hi uh I'm Eric Badnash, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Racktop Systems. Um and uh you know my uh my background is predominantly entrepreneurial. I spent most of my time at this play uh, um at this point um in the uh in the federal space um and uh, specifically within the DOD for pro- almost about 20 years now. Um started my career commercially at, at Time Warner. But uh, found my way into uh, to the DC area, and um, and into the Fed space, and it's actually where, where I met Jonathan, and and uh, you know led us to uh, to where we are at Racktop today.
3: I grew up in Upstate New York and Albany. Went to Georgia Tech, and was at Georgia Tech. Started co-op in for the government, and moved to the DC metro area full time. Started was Tech in the second, late '90s, and been involved in that for. Versus different facets
0: awesome and you guys are actually friends of uh one of the guests we had on a, a while back yes ron awesome yeah. awesome guy and uh just thought it was really neat that he uh recommended you guys so really excited to have you on the show
1: yeah shout out to, to ron awesome guest it's just an yeah awesome being. how did you guys get hooked up with ron
2: uh you know, it's a, uh, it's a small community and we, it, it, we've known Avron for a long time, right. we you know, we all started our companies in the same, uh, in the same County, in the same area. Um, but we really didn't, we got connected with him a couple of years back. Um, I think after he had already left Tenable, um, and, uh, and he founded, uh, Gula Tech adventures and, um, actually i, I somewhere I, I don't actually i don't remember exactly who it was but um you know within the community as with all, in all investment communities and and tech communities the cyber community here is pretty strong and um and there's people are always introducing you to to others and uh and i think uh you know he was part of one of those hey you should you should talk to Ron and and um and that that was it and then we talked to him and he liked what we had to say and you know next thing you know we're you know he's uh he's an investor a board member and uh you know there you go
3: it's exciting those entrepreneur success stories of the year taking public taking company from startup to all the public, and um definitely well well renowned in this area for sure
0: i mean it's got to be humbling and exciting and i mean how long ago was that the uh, uh,
3: yeah. we ever talked It was a company like three years ago or so. Yeah,
2: somewhere oh, wow. around 20, yeah, so maybe 2017, 2018. Yeah, and y- correct me if I'm wrong, I
0: don't, I don't know which one out of you two had the background
2: in uh, NSA, if that's right, was it? Yeah, we, yeah, we both do, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I so Jonathan and I met at NSA back in the early 2000s. Uh, and, um, and, uh, you know, we were working on a project together and, uh, and actually that project ended up forming a lot of the foundational, um, sort of I- ideas and elements, uh, of what we put on our product today, specifically around, um, data security. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, we met working on a project was, a very, it was right after nine eleven It was, uh, it was, a. It was a Sort of a, a small team that grew very fast and, and um, and uh, you know, we worked there together for for, uh, for a little bit. It was good exposure because we had,
3: you're you're getting, especially at that time, you got exposure to infrastructure, data, and challenges at like a size and scale that you really couldn't see elsewhere, you know, it was pre-Google being like, speaking if it is, and Facebook and all those things. So it was really like some of the hardest problems when it came to both the, the volume and velocity of data, and then obviously the threats against it. So it was a pretty cool time to, to be involved. Here.
0: So why don't we just talk a little bit about Racktop Systems? How Obviously, we know how it kind of all started, but you know, tell us about how things are going since that started up and, and what you guys see for the future of the company.
2: So uh, Racktop is... Um, you know, we're we're a, a data security company, um, but we've approached sort of cyber and data security from a completely different perspective, right? So if you think about, you know, talk about infosec, um, you know, I don't. Is anyone calling us infosec people anymore? It's like you know, we've <laughs> sort of been we're cyber the
0: acronym's folks. still there. It's still thrown out,
2: cyber folks. But um, <laughs> uh, it makes me feel old. Um, but um, but in any case, the uh, you know the. A lot of times we we approach the uh, the cyber the cyber market from the sort of this defensive position, right? If you think about products, um, we worked ourselves from the outside in, right? So at the at the um, at the edge and the endpoint, um, and when it comes to security at the core, at the core of the infrastructure, uh, it's largely sort of been ignored because uh, we figure that it's you know the internal infrastructure is protected, um, but with the advent of the cloud and sort of the pervasiveness of modern day threats, um, the number of endpoints, the number of access points um, and the sophistication of uh, of those types of threats. There is really no such thing as a protected core anymore, um, but yet those systems that operate there still operate under that presumption. And I think that's why you end up having uh, such widespread damage when it comes to ransomware because you sort of breach those external defenses. And now all of the data is right there accessible um, in large storage area networks um, or network-detached storage devices. And that's really where we decided to focus on um, you know, from, from our perspective and for, for data security. So we kind of flipped the model around and instead of saying, hey, we're gonna um, look at data security from the network perspective, from the edge or the endpoint, we said, let's go right to the core. Let's turn the model around and say and and so what we did is is we approached it by taking all of the same protections and elements that you would um, do externally, like tracking user behaviors and and monitoring and auditing systems. Um, and we we built those directly into the, the the data system, the data storage system, so that they're as close to the data as possible. Um, so you don't need external systems. Um, you don't need to cause any additional issues with you know misconfigurations or training. Um, no additional costs, and then uh, in terms of additional attack vectors, um, you eliminate all of that, right? So uh, we thought the best way to protect data in the modern world is really to flip that model around, create a converged system that does that at the core, and really completes the ecosystem, com- completes the picture, uh, and that you know that's sort of the 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 idea uh, behind behind what we do at Racktop and. Um, you know, a company has been around for a couple of years. And uh, um, if we were to sort of give this pitch in 2012, people would be like, security is interesting. But and uh, and today it's like such a burning issue. And with 19 billion dollars in global ransomware. Uh, losses that occurred in 2019. There's not a person who would say that that's interesting, they're saying that's a problem and I have to solve it. Um, so that's been the evolution. Um, so we kind of took a gamble that that would happen when we started Racktop and and in 2020, we could actually see that uh, it is happening in terms of the market really coming around and and the importance of approaching things the way we, we approached it uh, is really relevant today.
1: Well, 2020. I won't ask you to give me the 2020 pitch, but it's not lost on me that just as data security has gotten to a point where everyone is kind of acquiesced, for lack of a better word, um, here we are trying to accept the fact that we've been in a long standing relationship with data privacy, but we're we're only now talking about the fact that we've been in that relationship with data privacy. Yeah. How do you see that that very overt intersection playing out now with Racktop?
3: I think it's putting more tools in more people's hands to be able to do what people have been talking about. Cause I think before there was a lot of lip service to doing it. Everyone kind of knew you had to do it. They would say they had to do it and then go back to doing things the way they've always done it in the past. And so even if you look at like GDPR people that came out like, Oh yeah, yeah, we're covered. And then you California come out they they say, Oh, we're covered. And then in the defense industrial base, they have, they had like the DFARS NIST 800 and, That quickly they realized, yeah, people are saying they're doing it by self-certification and then they're going into um, CMMC where you're going to have to get a third party to accredit you just like you saw for data centers and socks. And I think what we're seeing is meaningful compliance and accreditation with actual thought behind doing it, not just the checkbox, but actually getting to the the end goal versus just saying, yeah, it's encrypted,
1: so we're safe. (laughs) self certification it's like asking your kid if they clean their room right <laughs> how did we ever let that go <laughs>
0: what what do you think kind of makes a security company become great and this could be outside of a security company this could just be a company in general. What do you think it, it, you can take a, a company like yourself and what what makes it become great? what do you see I can go first So, if, if <laughs>
3: so i think Every company comes down to relevance, right? And continued relevance. You know, our vision is to be able to enable every organization to protect their data like it's a national secret, right? So that threat against their data is continuously evolving. So there's never going to be a case where your data is always protected, right? And so I think that for a security company specifically, back to kind of like what we were just talking about, you need something that's easy to implement and secure by default and doesn't require a lot of, it, it's gotta be the path of least resistance, not the complex path that then makes your system inoperable or not usable. There's always gonna be exceptions to things, but in general, it's gotta become kind of the norm in the way you easily think about doing things and doesn't require, you know, hey, we operate normally like this, but over here, because this is sensitive data or special, we have to do all these extra precautions. It, it kind of has to be the normal that everyone gets used to doing. And so to be a great company, you have to produce products that fit within the normal workflow and are easy to use, and then they'll be adopted. If it's, if it's complex or the experience stinks, nobody adopts it. So it doesn't even come down to a cost thing, I think, when it comes to security. It's more about what's the easiest way to implement this, how do I do it? And if you think about IT in general, people are looking for the easy button. People think the cloud is an easy button, and it is for some things, some platforms, but what you gotta do is make sure you have all the boxes checked and that you are doing the security compliance thing. So whatever you're doing as a security company has to be solving the problem and and really solving the the real problem, not just checking the box. Like I said, the data is encrypted, so we're fine.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, it really comes down to uh, a belief um, and, uh, you know, and being able to do something that actually achieves a goal or, or, or solves an issue for, for, uh, for a customer, which, you know, would be a purpose, um, you know, so as Jonathan mentioned, right. Uh, we believe any organization, uh, you know, has the uh, right to protect their data as if it were a national secret. Um, and, um, and, you know, sort of creating technology or tools to enable a customer to actually um Solve a problem uh, and do it effectively and efficiently uh, is really sort of the you know that's really the driving factor I, I believe behind a great company. Um, you know we're 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 technologists and we love the technology we create, but the technology we create um, if it doesn't really have a have a, a purpose if it doesn't solve a purpose for a customer um, then you know it won't be great in and of itself. It, it won't be saleable um, you know, you know, to somebody and, and you really have to have it, you know, not only, um, you know, have a belief in what you do, but you have to actually create something that is going to make an impact, uh, to the folks that
1: are consuming it. You mentioned Jonathan, the cloud being the easy button. And in some ways it really is an easy button, depending on what you want to do. The platforms like AWS make it really easy to create new applications and, and do all kinds of other fun stuff. Um, how has that really kind of changed the problems that you see in your customer base and the way you're approaching them now, the cloud being the easy button that is? So I think it is an easy button, like you said,
3: for a lot of things, but it's not, it where where I've seen the challenges that it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't abdicate you of your responsibility. So a lot of people think that I moved to the cloud and I don't have to worry about security or I don't have to worry about maintaining software and updates and all this other stuff. Maybe to some extent, some of those problems went away, but some of the problems got bigger and became more challenging because typically there's other things you have to worry about. And you're and when you talk about AWS, if you're talking about an infrastructure service, it's kind of like Home Depot or Lowe's where, you know, you can build something together and create something, but ultimately you're responsible and you're responsible for the data. And I think the Capital One incident's a good example of you know they were very heavily moving into the cloud and they had a breach. It wasn't AWS's fault. The cloud on their part wasn't inherently insecure, but the way it was implemented and the way Capital One used it was insecure. And that's why they faced a large fine, even though AWS was completely within you know, the SLA. So what's, what's critical is understanding what you still have to concern yourself with and what you don't. And a lot of people, I think, think that the cloud takes care of a lot more than it actually does. There's still a lot you have to do. And it's hard to go hundred percent cloud and not have anything out of it that's still on-prem or going onto your employee devices. So you have to think about data privacy holistically. And along with that comes data portability, being able to move the data where you need it, when you need it, and have visibility in that data. So now you start to move the data out of your four walls, which is natural evolution for operational reasons. It's either going to go on your employee's laptops, you're sharing it with your partners in business, you're sharing it with your customers. Getting visibility into where that data is and where it exists and being able to understand that and know how it's protected is key. And that's one of the things we're doing at Racktop is trying to show, okay, here's where the data is, here's who has access to it um here who here is the people that have access to this is the stuff that's stale to make sure that there are no blind spots to make sure you really know what data you have so that you can leverage it for you know good purpose you know to understand what's happening but also to make sure it's protected adequately and so that goes from a kind of a historical like once in a while we're going to go see what's going on and check the controls to something that needs to be continuously monitored. You now have to be constantly watching to see what's happening with your data, who's accessing the data, and is that access appropriate. So it's a big evolution from kind of where we were to now, which is everything's happening a lot faster. Every, even with the pandemic, it's become uh, more distributed. Our collaboration's more distributed. Look at us here, right? We're, we're we're, we're collaborating across the U.S. and this has become normal uh, normal life and we're sharing data. So now we need to know, is it normal that I'm accessing this data from my house? I'm coming, you know, I'm accessing corporate data from my home network. Is that network secure? Who else has access to my network? Who else has access to my device? So the problem's gotten a lot harder. And now the problem has to be solved and with tools that make it easier to see that at the same time. So back to kind of what you were asking about: what makes a great security company? It's going to be the ones that can adapt quickly to the new way organizations are are operating.
0: Good answers. Kind of brings up a little thought in my mind about you know, just the approach. You know, a lot of the times I hear just from in the industry that lack of resources is, <clears throat> is always an issue uh, when it comes to running security tools. <clears throat> Would you, what would you guys say would be the most challenging issue that you've kind of come across since the pandemic started with everything? Do you think it's still lack of resources? Do you think there's something greater?
2: I mean, lack of resources is, is, is always going to be there. I mean, you know, it's, I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to a customer who said, you know, we have unlimited amounts of cash and right. tons of resources and, you know, <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen. Um, and And so I think those there's always constraints um on a business to operate efficiently uh and so you know re- resources in terms of capital um people um and um and i think uh a large part of that is training of the organization you could have people but if they're not properly trained, which we see a lot mm-hmm. in in the, in the security and cyberspace is is you you have people but um not necessarily trained uh you know in the right things to the right level um and so I, I think during the pandemic um you know i i i'm sure things things have changed but but what what we've seen really um you know in terms of things that affect affect us is uh just the the challenge that comes with the distributed distributed team distributed workforce and if you think about the security elements in there um you know you you've you've gone to having somewhat of an understanding of a, of a controlled environment. Um, and, and, you know, teleworking has been around for a long time. So we've had to deal with teleworkers um, mm-hmm. and, the, and the security elements there, but now everybody's a teleworker. Uh, and so, and actually, uh, you know, from a culture perspective, it looks like a lot of businesses are, are, are changing and may go hundred percent that way, right? So this is a complete change in a thought process um, on how we operate and manage IT or manage, manage security. Um, so I think, you know, for us, what we've seen is that it's really the early on, it was the sort of flailing to understand how, how are we going to deal with this? Um, and then that really becoming a, a new part of the conversation. Um, so, uh, you know, really distributed work, distributed teams, um, are now a much larger aspect of what any organization is doing, um, which makes security more important, but it also makes it um, you know, it, I think in my mind, it really makes it a, a more permanent part of the conversation um, than it was before. Yeah. yeah, I think exactly, yeah, alignment, right? Like I for
3: a long time, IT has been considered like a cost center, like we pay for this, but I think, it, you know, I'm hoping that more people see it as an enabling or an accelerating capability for the organization, right? Without IT, these groups that are now working from home probably couldn't even conduct business. You know, if they weren't able to go into the office and before IT, how would they have done that? Now they need to realize, Hey, we can actually be more effective. IT can enable us to be more profitable, faster, and, you know, successful. But it also means we have to be secure because if we're not, you know, our customers could data could be jeopardized and they could be upset with us and we can lose, you know, Customers or our competitors could go after our information. I mean, you, during COVID, you got to think that every major, you know, nation-state actor is looking for the vaccine for COVID nineteen. So, you if you didn't think so before, you're definitely a target now to, to for you know in, intellectual property. So, I'm hoping that as a one thing that we've seen is, and we started at the beginning, was like more top of mind about security and. Yeah, everyone always wants more resources, but I think we just need to be efficient with the resources we have and hopefully align to the business goals and, and justify what we need to do uh, to get there. Yeah,
0: great answers and agreed. It's, it's made things better, in my opinion, just across the board because I feel like people have had to actually start to think more and become more creative. And uh, I think it brings the best out of everybody. Obviously, this is privacy. Please, so what does data privacy mean to you guys and your company?
2: What does that structure look like? So, I think that, I mean data privacy um, it is. It, it, I think it, it's a it, it's a bit of an umbrella term, right? It's covering a lot of things, right? Um, but I, I think that uh, uh, an important element. So, if you look at the elemental aspect of it, it it boils down to um, to trust, um, and I think that. Uh, whether it be a commercial data privacy um, uh, issue or regulation, uh, it's about you know, your, your trust in the, in the retailers um, with your information, right? Uh, or whether we're talking about a, a B2B scenario, it, it's your trust um, with that organization you're doing business with to, uh, to ensure that the information you're sharing is going to be safe. And then um, you know, with a commercial entity in the government, uh, it's the same way. You may be working on things that are sensitive uh, that are sensitive to the United States, sensitive to security um, and uh, and 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 that is also a level of trust so to me um that's really a a fundamental element when it comes down to thinking about data data privacy um and I think when you look at it, you look at it that way, it becomes more meaningful in terms of the, the tools and technology and the process you put in place to actually address some of those problems. Because, um, you know, a lot of times we make decisions based off of, uh, you know, dollars and cents. Um, and, you know, but we sort of discount the impacts of what may happen if we don't uh, have things addressed properly. And so, um, you know, that comes down to, uh, you know, not only buying the right tools, but having the right culture and having the right process around around, uh, data privacy uh, and then implementing it holistically. Um, It's really hard to do that, as you know, like this is not an easy problem to solve, right? So talking about it like, oh yeah, this is all you have to do and it's fine. And it's, but it's not, it's really hard. Um, It's really hard to implement this um, at a small scale. It's very hard to implement it at a big scale. Um, and which is why this is such a, a burning issue, which is why there are so many organizations that exist to help make it easier um, and maintain that trust. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in business or all, we're all helping each other or we're all trying to accomplish a, a, a shared goal. Um, and if you don't have data privacy, if you don't have data security, you kind of lose that trust and you lose the ability to, to sort of work together. And that, that's the core of it for me.
0: Eric what do you mean i bought your tool so it would be easy for me
2: yes yes it's very easy um, <laughs> it's
0: yeah. it security and privacy obviously the intersection between each other it's a very difficult thing and it's it's fortunate that we actually have companies like racktop um, that can help and it's it's a uh, it's, it's just the way it is it's a, it's a hard thing to do and there's companies out there like yourselves that that are helping and and it's it's exciting to be in this industry in 2020,
2: especially for what's been going on. So, yeah, I mean yeah. what what we want to you know we make up we make a product and you know but what we what we do is we take all of our collective knowledge and experience of of how to do something and put it into that product so that it's less complex um, you know and I think that. It's it's the same thing with uh, you know that it's a uh, you know I don't you remember I'm, I'm sure you do so if you look at like the early versions of Windows and then an earlier version of of Mac OS like there was a um, like the the DVD player or the the CD recorder one of the early apps there was like one button on the Mac it just like it. it did everything the right way you just hit the one button and on the windows version there were like 30 30 buttons right and you could do all this other stuff with it which is great you got you had options but at the end of the day there's just there's like the 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 one way which we already know is the right way to do it you should just do that and i think the the, the point is is that security is hard enough um to do if you know and if there are a million options and a million ways to do it that's a million ways to screw up Um, and so, um, you know, we tried to take that approach where, look, we know how to do this. Um, let's just bake this into the product. So there's just one way to do it. It's the right way. And, and, um, and just make it easy, try and try and solve that problem. Is it a coincidence that, uh,
0: Apple just happens to have better security?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. It, it could be, although yeah. Microsoft is is uh, you know is a different company than they were in the '90s too. In yeah, terms of, agreed. Uh, security as well, and we, we support them both. We we have an equal amount of both. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's, there's a couple hot takes in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Security, sure, yeah. yeah. Some caveats. I, I, I've got another question while we're on the topic because I've got a little bit of a religious bent on this myself. So, yeah. I, I, I want to find out uh, where you fall on the line of um, the, the, the shortage of professionals to do this very hard job of protecting data. Is it? Are, is that problem getting better? Is it getting worse? Is is the introduction of new requirements around privacy going to exacerbate that? Or will technologies like Racktops help solve that problem by making it approachable? I was very cautious not to use the word easy, because it won't be any less easy. Yeah. I definitely think as as the
3: industry matures, the kind of well-understood way of doing things will get more understood. So it'll make it easier to have more practical approaches to solving the problem. Whereas there's a lot of theoretical stuff. And if you look at things and then the translation from theoretical to practical is often lost. And part of that comes from the lack of mentorship. Like, you know, I had the fortune of working in a large organization with people that were experienced that taught me a lot of lessons and, and guided me from, you know, my college education to real-world practical implementation of these things, right? And so that's tough with some of even the certifications of getting from there to that. I think part of what we're trying to do is, as a product, create a practical implementation of how to do identity and access management, least privilege access management, and, you know, data visibility and tag, to make that something that's possible and doable. And so I think, I think there needs to be more kind of maturity in the in the industry and kind of coming together on how things are done. I think there needs to be kind of a, a level setting of that. I think what you see a lot of times in, in uh, IT is people want to be unique or cute or innovative, and there's a place for that, but there's a place where that doesn't do well. It actually just creates possibilities for vulnerabilities and challenges. And it's like the reason that we do things this way is because – this is the way to do it. It's more secure. It doesn't like this, but, you know, we've had, we work with a lot of companies and talk to a lot of folks and you'll see that, you know, they haven't, you know, especially if you look at a small organization, they haven't had that exposure to how to do it and why it's done that way. So it's challenging for for those people and those organizations where they don't have access to talent. So, you know, I think that that's a tough thing. Um, I don't know if you've seen similar issues, but it's, It's hard to find people that have had the experience and the right training, not just the certification, but the right kind of practical experience that matches up.
2: Eric? You're going to have to ask me the question again. I lost it in Jonathan's long-winded answer. (laughs) That's okay.
1: The the question was, and I- Does it make it easy? Is there an easy button? Is there an easy button? It it was (laughs) was couched in this long-standing trope and that, that will tell you where I fall under on, on the religious lines yeah. by, by calling it a trope that um, that we have a shortage of, of professionals in, in this in this industry, um, you know, whether or not we are we are short of people that can do the job. And I think I think Jonathan hit, hit the nail on the head, at least from my perspective. Again, I'm, I'm really biased in this. and I don't hide my bias. There's there's definitely a challenge of of adequate mentorship. Um, I still I still, from time to time, will scold some of my peers in, in, uh, in this industry that, that kind of keep things far too esoteric and unapproachable for the, rest, for the rest of the masses. There's a lot of really smart people out there. I don't see what many of us do as necessarily being rocket surgery, um, but I do see there being a shortage of technologies that do make approaching hard problems approachable, not necessarily easy. And, uh, and the mentorship one's definitely a huge one. Also, there is, this is, this is an industry where things change. They change fast. The problems come at you hard and fast also. And you, you kind of have to learn from those that came before you. I, I'm not sure you could come into this completely blind. Like, is there such a thing as like an info sex savant? Is that a thing like someone who's born just knowing how to protect the things, right? actually. <laughs> like, I, I I, I, yeah.
2: I mean, maybe not born, but, um, but I think it's a, it's a certain kind of characteristic, right? Um, so there's a difference between education and, and intuition. And yes. if you think about that, you can, you can educate somebody to be a professional, technology professional, cyber professional. You can, they can learn the skills, um, but it takes time and experience to gain the intuition into understanding to actually how to apply them and be most effective. Um, you know and I think that that's the difference and I would say that if you took a technology professional who was not in the security space but had that ability to um, you know to to understand and to troubleshoot and to have that 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 intuition and understanding of how things just worked together when you move them into the security space um, it's not a real heavy lift for them to get to the same place, and I think that's really um, that's really the core of it. And, and and I think that you know no one's born uh, into that that type of you know that, to that level, but uh, but they sort of grow there. And I think that it, you know, no matter what the industry um, is, that you can easily translate. And I think sometimes people don't because maybe there's there's fear. They feel like they're really deep in one area, and maybe they're comfortable there. Um, but um, but I, I think it's something I, and I know Jonathan has uh, in, our, in our histories, always been in, in those types of positions where you, you, you end up going across all these verticals, um, and, and they all just kind of make sense. Uh, If you sort of, you know, apply that same type of that sense of intuition and experience to to what you're doing. So what we need is more people to get interested and excited about it. Uh, What we need is is more people to uh, actually understand that there's no such thing as infrastructure and operations and security. Like those things should be the same thing. Like they should be together. And I think once you break down those barriers, I think those barriers are a bigger impediment um, to increasing the number of security professionals um, than the ability, um, you know, to, to learn these new skills.
1: All I heard was womp womp womp. dev sec ops all the way. I'm with, you. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Infrastructure as code. Isn't, isn't some utopian dream. It's, it's a thing. It's now, right? Like it, it is part of your security infrastructure. If you don't recognize that, you might have a security problem. <laughs> yeah. We need we need one of those books, like a hundred, you know, one of the yo, like Jeff Boxer, where the If you are black, then you might be a <laughs> that's right. one of those for security. Like if you don't recognize infrastructure as code as being part of your security. Uh so then yes, you might have a problem. Now, right on. I'm I'm with you, gentlemen, on that. Awesome. So fun question
0: here. You don't have to go too in depth, but it, i just love to hear uh, different opinions on this. If you had only a hundred dollar budget to spend on security and privacy, where would you start? You go first.
1: (laughs) I,
2: I I would say that there's a lot of people who have a zero dollar (laughs) budget for security. I mean, how many times you go? yeah. Hey, I'm the CISO. I don't have a budget. Um, but I have to report to the board and tell them everything's okay, uh, and uh, you know I, I kind of say that jokingly, but it's not. I mean that it, it's it's kind of the truth in a lot of in a lot of yeah. areas. We have to be secure. We have to do this, um, and uh, you know there hasn't really been a lot of allocated. So I don't think it's uncommon to have a hundred dollar budget. Um, what I would do, you know, that's that's the the harder question is is. Um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to lean on my infrastructure and operations friends because they have the budget, uh, and uh, and try and uh, you know get them to uh, understand the importance of, of what we're doing and 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 take some of those dollars away, um, and uh, and that's probably the way that that I would approach that situation.
3: To so basically bribe the infrastructure guys yeah, for a hundred bucks
2: too. Well, I didn't say I didn't say bribe. <laughs> Has this happened before? I said, "Be really nice. Be really nice to them. You know, (laughs) I'd probably use the hundred dollars to take my most
3: smartest security person out for food, and then convince them to come talk to the board about why we need to get more budget." (laughs)
0: That's a good answer.
1: That's a great answer. I like it.
0: That is fair. So, for both of you, obviously you can answer separately. But uh, what do you think has been the, the proudest moment uh, in your career thus far?
3: I think for me, and would be starting Raktab. But you know, I was excited to become an entrepreneur, and I'm excited about you know starting a company and where where we've gotten. Eric and I really bootstrap the company, and so um, that's probably my proudest moment. I
2: it's a it's such a a tough question because I kind of feel like the, I mean, that this, the script is still being written, you know? Right. Um, And uh, I think there, there are a lot of, a lot of proud moments and a lot of milestones and moments in time. Um, I think, uh, I think in terms of achievement, I'll I'll not call it one, my, my one proudest moment, but I'll say as an overall achievement um, that makes me, Proud is that we, you know, we we started the company, um, we uh, we bootstrap the company, we grew it organically, um, we kind of bucked the traditional venture capital trend for um, a long time, uh, and and so being able to sort of do that, you know, like uh, Frank Sinatra uh, style with uh, I did it my way, um, I think that. You know, there's really, I mean, there's two options when you do it that way. You're either successful or you, you crash and burn. And you say that was a nice experiment. guess I can't do it my way. And I will try to do it, you know, the normal way. Um, but um, but we did it. Uh, and I think that uh, maybe not the single proudest moment, but a, um, you know, I, I'm proud of not um what I've achieved, but what we have achieved together and what the team has achieved. A lot of our employees have been with the company the entire time that the company's been in our existence. And that core team um is really key and essential to where we are today. And I kind of I always say that, you know, that that group, it's the they're the fabric of the company. They've sort of woven themselves into everything that we do uh and create. And and I don't think that you are able to be successful when you do it sort of the way we did it with, you know, without uh, strong VC backing and sort of bootstrapping and, and uh, you know, living one deal to the next, you don't do that unless you have a really strong uh, group of people that are going to, that are going to fight through that with you. Um, and so uh, to me, that's probably the, the thing I'm most proud of.
0: Yeah, should, I mean, it should be, and it's kind of like a leap, leap of faith. Take everything that you've learned, and let's see if this works. Yeah, and learn from it. If it doesn't, or if you struggle, you're just going to learn from it and, and uh, succeed somewhere else, or you know, finally succeed with whatever you're, you're working with. So, yeah. congrats to you guys, and and thanks for being, you know, with a company or you know, having a company for what you do because it's it's extremely important. And that's why we have this podcast because this is extremely important, and it needs to be it needs to be more important. It needs to be out there more. It needs to be uh, a, a, an outlet for people to learn. And that's why we're here. So is there anything that you guys want to bring up before we get on to our last
2: fun segment? What's the fun segment? Oh, see. <laughs> that, was it.
1: that was it.
0: Yeah, that was it. <laughs> this is where I, I ask fun questions. So we're going to uh, open up a little more, get a little more private, as Gabe likes to say. So if you guys are ready, it can go, you know, the questions I ask can be answered by one of you, or you, you both can go up to you if you, you're cool with it. Let's just make it a rule. You both have to
1: answer. Is it a game? Do we get points? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Much like whose line is it anyway? That's right. All the points are made up and none of it matters. There's so. no
3: wrong answers, just stupid ones. Indeed. Right.
1: Right. I'm not right, very let's... good
2: at improv,
0: so I don't know. I'm gonna see how we do. <laughs> oh, you'll be right. Yeah. Um, so what kind of bear is best?
2: Did you say beer? All of it.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> works too, but I did say bear. But we'll take <laughs> beer. Beer's good too. I don't I mean, all right, so what what's your favorite beer?
2: My my favorite beer? Oh, well, yeah. at, at this time, you have to like the uh, Oktoberfest style beers, the uh, Meritzen style beers, right? So the fest beer I like. Uh, Hofbrow is, uh, and really, because I don't know that it's the best one, but it's very nostalgic. Um, so that is a trend that Jonathan, I'm totally going off on a tangent here. <laughs> Jonathan, so... One of the things that Jonathan made sure um, from a culture perspective we did is uh, have celebrate October. Jonathan still live in Germany. He didn't mention oh, that in the beginning, but I spilled the beans. Uh, awesome. You know, he lived, he lived in Germany um, and he used to go to Oktoberfest in Munich. And then when he moved back to the States, we've gone to Oktoberfest in Munich. He's gone every year. I, I've gone a few of the years, um, but we started our own Oktoberfest here called Racktoberfest <laughs> and and to do the same thing and so at you know we we are hofbräu is the the tent we always go to in munich uh and uh and so we got hofbräu uh beer and then uh, we'll get same adams too because uh that's a pretty yeah. good Oktoberfest beer. But anyway, yeah. so hofbräu is one of my favorites too. That's my favorite beer. That that's that, that's of the time.
0: So. That's super cool. Um so I'm guessing uh, is hofbräu your favorite, Jonathan? Or do you have a Andexer would
3: be my favorite German beer. It's in Munich, but it's, they don't have it in the fest, though, but it's my favorite.
0: I like one of the o- oldest ones. And I, uh, you might know what it is. It starts with a W. It's a really long one. It's like wash. Or sun. I think that's it. We'll go with that one. <laughs> I, li- I like that one. It's, it just has a good taste. All right. So this is a question that I brought up last week in my, or in my last episode, but uh, I feel like it's a good one. So toilet paper. I want to know what kind of people you guys are. Are you over or under type of people? Only mm-hmm. one right answer here.
2: Be careful. You live in a society, gentlemen. Uh, there is only one way, and you're psycho if it's the other way. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so what, what way is that? Over. Jonathan? Agreed. Agreed.
0: Well, uh, Jonathan? Agreed. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> There's
2: no oh, pressure, agree. Jonathan. Yeah,
0: I agree with that over. I
1: don't know. Like... Right, uh, I, Gabe, are you an under? I am an over man. We okay, I, I thought I,
0: Okay, I'm just saying.
1: Anarchist. So I absolutely to... watch the world burn. No. <laughs> Do you know? Especially how... if it's like dark, you
0: can't. Like if it's under, it's mm. no.
3: Nope. Well, I always feel like if they at a nice place, they always make it up so it's like folded or something. It only works on right.
1: Under. You can't fold it if it's under. That's right. Jonathan's got classes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, the, oh, bet, the
0: next best things are those, like, Toto, you know, toilets and the list, Heated seat. So this can be quick. You don't have to go in depth. But uh, for each of you, we'll start with Jonathan. Tell us a fun fact about yourself that someone might not know. And since Eric already ruined it, we know you live in, <laughs> lived in Germany. So <laughs> you can't use it. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: East or West Germany, what part were you in? Well, I assume if you liked Oktoberfest, you'd be in Bavaria, so. I actually, it was actually in near Frankfurt, so it was like a oh, fun, I, I didn't get to live in Bavaria,
3: but I did go there, but Frankfurt worked out walks a I did let's see, how about, uh,
1: awesome. I like Frankfurt, i spent a decent amount of time there, and I've got some family that live there, and some friends that still live there as well, too, so, I'm a fan. I would, I'm trying try to
3: think what should be going, so fun fact, I would say, uh. Okay,
2: like, I'm not very fun, which is the opposite, because Jonathan is like the most fun person I've ever met in my life.
1: Never met a I man who drinks beer fun. and That's plays, like his nickname. Never met a man who drinks beer and plays a guitar that isn't fun. So I don't buy what you're selling, Eric. Uh, yeah. I did I've done the running with the bulls
3: and I would not recommend <laughs> it's Ooh, yeah. kind of one of those things that you do and you're like, why did I do this? Like I really just said like Hey, I'm gonna run next to the bull.
0: I possibly get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds uh, sounds dangerous. Paris. But you're Paris. alive, so you're good. I made it. Eric I was like <laughs> Oh, sorry. That's all right. I was just gonna say like the day I went
3: to like all the bulls kept running, like some what you don't want them is to start like turning around. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I'm a musician. If the video is playing, you can see
0: mm-hmm.
2: the guitar behind me. I also play uh, drums, piano. And the most fun fact is I was in a disco band for a couple of years.
1: What was the name of the disco
2: band? It was called Right Foot Red. It was um, we did, uh, uh 70s uh, disco. I had um, all the outfits. And then uh, we did. We like finished out with like 80s and some modern stuff at the end of the night. But. It was good. It was a good time.
1: Favorite, 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 favorite disco song.
2: song. Oh, favorite disco. Oh. Uh, um, well, you got the now Rogers is the king of of I mean, he wrote for so many people um, in that disco that the disco groove. I don't know. The BGS are also um, they have a, a lot of hits. Um, so I, I don't Oh, man, this is a hard one. There is a lot <laughs> of, uh, that, you know, and I'm probably going to get uh, ridiculed here for, for liking disco. But I mean, really, disco is just like a an extension of funk. and It
1: uh, is an extension of funk. You would not be ridiculed by me at all. Yeah. I mean, no, it judges like it, you said country. Right, the judges would have accepted "It's Raining Men" by The Weather Girls, and we would have been we'd been all good. Like, ah, <laughs> the song's dope, man. Ah, no, you're, you're a good yeah. song. So I, I like it.
2: I like. I don't. I don't know that I have one favorite song. I I I have a lot of. Uh, I guess uh, if I had to pick one, I'd say Boogie Yogi is. taste of honey is a good choice. That's a good one. Good choice. Yeah. Can't wait
0: to read that transcript back. <laughs> see, if it, see if it gets it right. <laughs> Awesome. Um, all right. So pandemic, we're locked down. You have to pick three famous people dead or alive to be locked down with. Who would you choose? Jonathan? It's a good one. Uh,
3: <laughs> Dana Carvey. Cause we could have like lots of impersonations. It's Like there's more people there than just
1: Dana. Good call. I like Great that. call. I like that. Um, Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Uh, we we'll can make it easier. Fictional.
3: Fictional characters, I oh. know. Ooh. Might as well go with Superman on this way. We can take a trip. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, need some female levity. Who would we invite?
0: Oh. Will we learn Jonathan's secret celebrity crush? Yeah exactly. <laughs> um. Kate McKinnon. <laughs> uh, I mean, she'll make you laugh for sure. Yeah.
3: Uh,
0: I know, like, as soon as I answered that, I'm like,
3: oh, I should have said this person. I'm trying to think. Um,
1: <laughs> my life depends my on. it has got a lot of time to think about it.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, I'm like, I can't even think of a person. I'm like,
3: total blank. Uh, I'm if it helps you, them.
1: I'll tell you two of mine. All Bob right. Marley and Napoleon Bonaparte. Those are my first two choices. That's
3: your two choices. That's <laughs> first two, two choices.
1: choices. <laughs> I'll do Sophia Bergard. She seems like she'd be fun. Nice. Good choice.
0: Good choice. There you go.
2: Eric. Eric, you're up, man. Oh, I got it. Okay. Um, so, Harry Connick Jr. would be the first one. Uh, hopefully, my piano playing would go to a new level. Um, if he was, if I was hanging around with him every day, um, I would say, uh, there's so many, um, it's, it's harder than you think. It's like, it's like when it's someone says,
0: all right, what's your favorite? Like when you, back in the day when LimeWire was a thing and you can go and search for any album you wanted, I could never yeah. think of what I wanted to download. <laughs> it's <Yeah.
1: just> like, <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean,
0: I didn't download illegally.
1: No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't heard of it. I mm-hmm. heard of that um, yeah, I a guy uh, <laughs> I a guy a guy
2: um I would say uh I would say my my grandmother uh who passed away when I was probably i think 22 um's been a long time and I miss her so it'd be nice to see her again
0: right on and um
2: maybe Bill Gates I'd probably yeah. Because we can cover a lot. We can cover technology. We can cover, um, you know, politics. We can cover uh, all this humanitarian work, and I mean, you got there's a lot of conversations
1: we had there. Plus, he can pay for all the Uber Eats (laughs) because yeah, I'm not not reaching for my phone if Bill Gates is crashing through the pandemic. Like, no, you're ordering.
0: That's right. (laughs) Great point. Um. So okay, if you could make one rule that everyone had to follow for one day, what would that be? I go first. Listen, that's a great rule. Good luck, even if they yeah. have to follow it. It's but
2: <laughs> I, I really that's my biggest wish as as an entrepreneur, manager that uh, and father. If if People would just listen. Sorry, what was that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's a good one, though.
3: Yeah. Be nice to everybody. It's
0: cheesy. But... Yeah, that is a Easy good. Easy but one. good. That is a good one. All right. Shows like. your good. true character.
2: Yeah, it was Google's original it was like uh, do, do no do evil. evil, and now it's Jonathan's, is it it be nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mine's, mine's just as simplistic, but a little bit more crude. It's like, don't be a beep. beep right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just don't, don't be a, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> you feel the urge to do that? Fight that
0: urge. <laughs> um, last one here. What is your most used emoji? Ooh. Definitely the thumbs up.
2: Thumbs up? Yeah. Take the winky the winky face, winky smiley face. It's kind of like, it's not, I'm happy, but it's kind of like, I'm joking. Maybe I'm happy. Maybe I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) Again, it's a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility in how that could be interpreted. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I use use that. And the uh, the laughing, crying is pretty common for me. The laughing, crying. Multiple times, you know. something's funny i do that a lot of uh, crazy like yeah (laughs) awesome well jonathan eric thank you both so much for for coming on privacy please it's an honor for for gabe and i and uh (laughs) really excited for you guys and your company for what you're doing and
1: thanks again for your time gabe yeah no i appreciate you guys coming on um before we sign off let the folks know where we can, where they can find you, and uh, what we can put in the show notes. you've got some Twitter handles, some social media handles, you know, w- w- where can, where can they hit you up for some more information? Yeah,
2: so if you want to go to the website, it's racktopsystems.com. dot um, You can follow us on Twitter at RackTop. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Eric Badnash. Jonathan's at what did you? I don't.
3: A- yeah,
2: and um, and just Google Racktop. I mean, we're all over the. You'll find that all kinds of Google pages coming up, um, about us and and. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on uh, today, and and um, thanks a lot for having us. And in the interest of uh, privacy, uh, if you will not show this or play it anywhere, um. That would be awesome.
0: <laughs>
1: Sounds good. Well, thank yeah. you guys. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Well, thank really, Jonathan, first out of, uh, Never mind, I, Jonathan. Yours was at J A H
3: G T. Yeah, like George Zach.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Uh, awesome. We'll thanks will See you next time, you guys. It was yeah, a lot thanks. of fun. Take care. Cheers. All right.
0: wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week, and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I I know that there are millions of other shows, and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ... Can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week.